Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Neverland has two moons. Did you notice that? Yes, I did notice that as I was desperately looking for things to distract myself (laughs) from what was going on in the center of the screen. From WBEZ Chicago, this is a magical extra bonus edition of Nerd at Recaps. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. And Peter, how did you ever manage to fit into those smashing tights again? (laughs) From hell's heart, I stab at thee, Trisha. (laughs) That's not a line from Hook, is it? That isn't, no, but it's how I'm feeling. (laughs) That was just from his heart. About being forced to watch this movie again. I actually, actually, uh, because we've been talking about it, right? And I honestly thought that one of the great ways that this sort of low-level argument over Hook Kadam would be like in a very very much green eggs and ham kind of way in which 30 years after seeing it for the first time, I watch it again and I'm like, oh, wow, this movie is charming and I great. I love magic. I love magic and joy and, and childhood. And imagination. Exactly. But no, I hate all those things just as much as I did. <laughs> I was a little worried that watching it in 2020, I would have the opposite reaction I've had for my entire life, particularly when I was five years old and watched it every day on VHS. Yeah, how did it go for you this time, Trisha? I love every second of this movie, and I will <laughs> fight to the death. I'm I'm only sad, Trisha. I just want to say it's been great being friends with you. I've enjoyed it. I've learned so much. You've enriched my life, and I'll miss you from now on. <laughs> if it's not already obvious, today we are recapping Steven Spielberg's 1991 film Hook. It's about an adult Peter Pan played by Robin Williams, who has to return to Neverland to save his kidnapped children from Captain Hook, who's played by Dustin Hoffman. Julia Roberts plays Tinkerbell for some reason. And also, I just want to note, our producer Justin wrote in the script here that this is, quote, perhaps the most underappreciated film of all time, unquote. I feel that it's been (laughs) overappreciated on the evidence that all copies of it were not somehow found and destroyed. (laughs) So that is- yeah, Justin's on Team Hook. Yeah, I mean, Justin does have control of the jingles. <laughs> he does, he does. So wait a minute, hold on. All I want to know is if Justin, the producer, is actually on Team Hook or he's pretending to be on Team Hook just to get a rise I out mean, of me. Because either is possible. Well, so uh, I don't know if this is too early to do this, but you know, we, we didn't get any voicemails because this is a surprise episode. Yes. Except we did get one voicemail, and it is from our producer, Justin. So should we just listen to that right now? Yeah. All right. J- Justin on line <laughs> one. Go ahead. Justin, cue up Justin. Hi, Nerdettes and Peter. This is Justin in Chicago. Big fan of the show. I love Hook. There's so many good things I could say about it. The sets are fantastic. All handmade sets, no CGI. Love that. Secondly, I love that the captain is obsessed with good form, acting with uh, like good moral character, even though he's the villain. He has like a system of ethics that he lives by. Of course, he abandons those when the stakes are the highest seconds before his untimely death by crocodile. But I think that's just a nice little element to Dustin Hoffman's portrayal. But lastly, one more thing I'll say is that, you know, I was a sheepish little boy when I was watching Hook as a child. 
and I think this movie helped reframe my feelings about death. They're constantly talking about death as a great adventure and looking at it without fear. And I think that affected me in a good way. So those are my feelings on Hook, uh, Spielberg's best work to date. Now he's just and trolling Peter, me. You are the pan. <laughs> bye bye. Thank you for calling, Justin. Spielberg's best work to date. <laughs> I mean, it seems pretty sincere, though, Peter. Don't you? Th- I don't think he's just fucking with you. I think he's just fucking. No, with those were really those do. were those were deeply I held. Mean, I mean, I mean, I was I was truths about Hook. I was with him up until the last moment. I could have believed it because all right. One of the things that I need to admit is you, Trisha, and clearly Justin as well, as well as many people, saw this as a child and interpreted it as a children's yeah. movie. And I saw it as a grown-up. And there are some children's movies like Toy Story that are great for children and adults. I was able to love. And so maybe, okay, maybe it's just that I was an adult. I was too old for it. Uh, maybe as a child, you'd actually enjoy this agglomeration of content. But... Uh, <laughs> I, I, I will go so far as to say it is a terrible children's movie, and all the children who love it are wrong. <laughs> so I will. Wow, not. Peter. I do. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. I do wow. think that realizing that it's two hours and forty-three minutes long, not to steal your thunder, Greta, with naming the time of the movie. I don't think it's forty. I think it's twenty-four. Two hours and twenty-two hours minutes. But it is longer than it needs to. It's be. a very long movie, and I kept sort of pausing at certain moments to go like, "How many minutes in is this happening?" Uh huh. Yeah. And you don't meet Hook until about 40 minutes in. Yeah. It's... Which when you consider the attention span of five-year-olds now, at least the ones that I know or have known in the last few years, uh, 40 minutes of just adults live action talking is not how kids movies work anymore, certainly. Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing it. I think I was probably six or seven and it terrified me. Like the kids in the nets... I thought it, there were, and Hook in and of himself, like, I thought he was very scary. I just always thought it was all great, <laughs> even as a really little kid. I was, I mean, I was terrified of Ursula from The Little Mermaid, like, the year before and would hide under blankets. So, like, I was a kid who got scared of what I thought were scary things in movies. But for some reason, mm-hmm. I just, I, I, I checked in with my mom earlier this week to go, like, am I remembering right? Did I watch this on VHS, like, every day? She was like, yeah, no, we watched that movie all the time when you were like five and six years old. <laughs> and then and then mysteriously, the VHS disappeared. Oh, good for Marsha. Yeah. Yeah, good for you. Good for Marsha. Marsha, if you're listening, fucking A. <laughs> since, <laughs> since we know now that you're into that kind of language. That's a throwback. So, Peter, how much do you hate Hook because you are Peter? <laughs> Wait a minute. What, what does that mean? Well, like, like my name is Peter, yeah, because your name is oh, okay. Peter, because you have the same name as the main character. So and so and there's so a lot of like uh, loosen up, Peter. No, like, stop being yeah. such a jerk, Peter. Oh God, no! I, I really, out of all of the reasons that I hate this movie, the fact that they take my own name in vain is way down at the bottom. Oh, I won't okay. even, we won't even have time to get there. <laughs> one thing that I, I was, you know, because one of the things I always do, you guys do it too, is you, we watch these movies and then we try to read up on what it was like when the movie came out and what people thought of it at the time. And one thing that's really interesting to re- I had forgotten this, and I, of course, as I often mention, was alive then, is this was the last movie that Steven Spielberg made in the period of his decline. So, no, what I mean to say is, so Steven, Steven Spielberg was this wunderkind, right? 
And yeah. he had made Jaws at the age of like 25, and he made Raiders of the Lost Ark, and he made Close Encounters, and he made all these amazing movies. And and Spielberg was was seen as like the the greatest child who had ever grown up to be a movie director. His movies were seen as being these enormous popular blockbusters with absolutely no substance. Spielbergian was almost an insult. It meant that it looked great and it was whiz bang, but it didn't have any you know meat to it. Bangerang, you could say. Bangerang, you could say. And during the uh, late 80s into the early 90s, he sort of desperately sort of tried to get off that rail of that reputation. It didn't work. He made uh, Always, which people were like, come on, you keep trying to make these adult movies. It doesn't work. Then he made this, which was his last big kids movie. And everybody was like, yeah, I guess he is what he is. He can do no substance. He can just do spectacle. The next movie he made after this was Jurassic Park. Yeah. And the movie he made after that was Schindler's List. And that changed everything, those two movies, that made Spielberg go from like, oh, yeah, he's a great big Hollywood, big Hollywood movie maker, no substance, to, oh, my God, he's the greatest cinema genius who ever lived. So and it's sort of like he hit bottom in this movie. He did. Movie, this is little... his hitting bottom. This is Steven Spielberg waking up. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know how he got there. He's covered in vomit. <laughs> or whatever that food is they're eating, that multicolored paste. The, the primary colored paint. paste. It's exactly. Paint. And he wakes up and says, I've got this primary colored paste on me. I've got to get my life together. And he goes on and he makes Jurassic Park. So, <sighs> sorry. If Peter's opinion falls in the forest, does anybody give a shit? Where does, where does E.T. fall into that? E.T. was like, uh, people don't remember this, but for a while, E.T. was the highest grossing movie of all time. It beat. Uh, yeah, the record huge. for Star Wars. It was huge. But again, it's a movie about a child. Spielberg yeah. was yeah. seen as a movie, as like a child in a grown-up's body who made fabulous movies for children. And this was his, and this was like, people, I thought, I think it was a general sense, I read some of the reviews, that it's like, yeah, Spielberg keeps getting the, making these movies for kids and they're bigger and they're brighter and they're louder, but they're no better and that's all this guy can do. And then, of course, he changed that forever with his next few movies. But that's, I mean, so looking at it now from what we know about Spielberg and what he was able to go on and do, it's it's just like, I can't believe that the guy who made this movie is the guy who made Schindler's List and War of the Worlds and Minority Report and all those fantastic it's movies. It's a direct wanna... line. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Between great films. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and I have I have a theory about this movie that I absolutely cannot back up. Because no one will ever admit it, even if I was right. But I still believe it in my heart of hearts to be true. And are you about to tell us, even though I am. we didn't ask? Uh, yeah. <laughs> if I waited for you to ask, I'd be sitting in silence. And what fun would that be for me? Okay, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> What's your theory, Peter? My theory is that everybody who worked in this movie, from Spielberg on down, all the brilliant designers and the actors and the casting people... The, the the just everybody who did everything in this even John Williams who did yeah, the score yes it's quite a score knew in their heart of hearts it was terrible huh that even when they were making these big elaborate sets like for the Lost Boys it oh, looks it's like an the set. that looks like the 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 amusement park ride that they would inevitably be made at Universal Studios once <laughs> the movie came out and was a big hit 
they all knew this is bad. This is terrible. We are just dressing a terrible movie with our brilliant talent. And the fact of the matter is once you start, like I guess whatever it was, a $60 million movie, $200 million now, you can't stop it. So it was like- <laughs> It's too big to turn the ship it's around. It's too big. You can't turn the ship around. And, and the quote I was trying to look up before we started this session is from Richard Rogers, uh, the great musical theater composer. I read it years ago. It stuck with me for a long time because of my own career as a playwright. And the quote goes something like this. There's a lot of things you can fix about a show. You can fix the plot. You can fix the casting. You can fix the songs. You can fix the script. The one thing you can't fix is if it never should have been made in the first place. Mm. And that's what I feel about Hook, that it was just this bizarre, bad idea that should have been stopped by responsible adults. So to what extent, like, what was your relationship like with actual Peter Pan? Because I did think one thing I found comforting about watching this movie was that it I found it to be really rem- reminiscent of the Disney movie, which I also watched as a little kid. Yeah. And some of that imagery I just thought was really lovely. I kind of missed out on Peter Pan. It, uh, ah. I didn't even see the Disney Peter. I mean, I think I, I went to Disney World as a child and did the ride of Peter Pan, which, by the way, was great and is no longer. Is it still there? I think it's still there. I don't, I don't know. Um, without ever having seen the movie of Peter Pan. Hmm. So I wasn't really. It came really... out in 1953, which we yeah. should mention, you know, it was one of the very early. Yeah, it's like of... old school class. I mean, and it, obviously it's got its problems, too. Yeah. yeah, like I, yeah. you know, but. I, I don't know. I just think some of those images, you know, around like the clock tower and all of that yeah. stuff, like it it was I thought it was kind of fun to see like a live action version of that that was also kind of a twist on the story. Like, I think that is part of its appeal. And I think, you know, that pitch, I could see that people would would be interested in that pitch. One of the things that that comes up in the movie is that the actual history of Peter Pan was it was written by J.M. Barry, who was a playwright. The, the story is told in the Johnny Depp movie Finding Neverland, which was made into a musical. Peter Pan was this huge cultural thing long before Disney made their version of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and and for some reason I missed it. When I was a kid, uh, an actor named an actress named Sandy Duncan used to go around and do the musical of Peter Pan. In fact, it was a tradition that when you did theater productions of the play or the musical Peter Pan, that Peter Pan be played by a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess the idea was that you could have sort of a, a person with an adult sensibility who didn't seem like a grown man. Uh, so it was th- there's a lot of like cultural substacks. In fact, one of the things that Justin praised about the movie, which is Hook's obsession with good form, <laughs> is actually from the original <laughs> material. Captain Hook is always obsessed with good form. So I mean, they they obviously knew the material. Obviously, this is a this is a sort of what's it you called a sequel to Peter Pan. Yeah. So Greta, we know where I stand. We know where Peter stands. Yes. There are three of us. There are three which of is, us. You know, much like you know the high court and other oh, things. Oh wow! Like you need an an uneven number to adjudicate officially. <sighs> I mean, I am. I mean, I cried watching this more times than when I cried watching Toy Story. Like it, it got me. And I think why, where I, I love a good story about like embracing imagination and magic. You know, like I think that's really lovely, and I don't think it totally worked. And there are some elements that I found extremely frustrating, especially treatment of female characters in this movie. Um, like the Tinkerbell, the whole Tinkerbell thing. Like I could complain about that for a long time. Uh, 
have you seen the Disney Peter Pan? Oh, totally. But yeah, like, which is much, much worse. Y- yes, but there's still this like, I mean, God, like speaking of Manic Pixie Dream Girl, like, God. you know, and just the whole like her only wish is to become a big size person so she could tell Peter she loves him. It's just like, oh, my God, like she can't have any agency beyond just like helping Peter. That's it. And like, why did he make out with four different creatures? While he was in Neverland, like, did that need to happen? They were giving him uh, some air to breathe. I get that was it, all but just like, yeah. life-saving yeah. mermaid makeup. That was one of those scenes where it's like, does they, that need to happen? They weren't women; they were intensely sexy scuba tanks. Greta, <laughs> can't you get it? <laughs> that was like, I, you know, in in my mind of like, how do we get this movie closer to two hours? That was definitely <laughs> one of the scenes that I think we could have cut. The mermaids. Um, yeah, the mermaids. The... And yeah, the Tinkler, Tinkerbell arc, too. It was just like, I don't know. And similar to you Googling uh, Spielberg's career trajectory, Peter, I was like, where does this fit in Julia Roberts' career trajectory? <laughs> uh, that's actually an interesting, huge. an interesting question. Julia Roberts had become this massive movie star on the basis. But not yet. No, this was, I think this was after Pretty Woman, right? It Which... was after Pretty Woman, but it was pretty much right. It was still before like Pelican Brief or My Best Friend's Wedding. Like, And maybe they were filming it before Pretty Woman came out. You yeah, know like, I mean? like sometimes that can be interesting too is when something uh, comes out versus when it was filmed. I think because Pretty Woman is still like late 80s, but this mm-hmm. is, I think right, this is but... definitely like before the huge stuff that happened to her after Pretty Woman. I, I, th- I'm, I'm going to pull rank as an old guy, but Pretty Woman made Julia Roberts the biggest m- female movie star in the world. And not only that, but the biggest sort of sex symbol in the world. That she was, on the basis pretty much of Pretty Woman, she was like this amazing sort of goddess of sexual allure. She was enormous. And I mean that sort of, I mean, they made her tiny. They did make her tiny. And apparently uh, she was somewhat problematic on the set of this movie. The that, phrase uh, Tinker she... Hell was bandied yes. about the internet. <laughs> yeah. Which is which is also strange because she is, and I say this with all respect to her because she came became a very credible actress and Oscar winner, obviously, and uh, for all I know, a wonderful and stable person. Uh, she's terribly miscast in this yeah, movie it's that and She's that's the part where awful. i was just like why is this happening like and the hair all of it it was just like this doesn't make any sense to me of all of the things in this well movie. and apparently yeah. she had to do all of her work just alone in a green screen room oh yes. that would be which, which i think which, which is obviously harder for then. everyone and yeah people were less used to it then and it was probably much clunkier then i also have a lot of questions about like time space in neverland and like how that works and like like, I had a very big question about why Peter decided to leave mm. in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't, like, to fall in love with and subsequently kiss a sleeping girl I find super frustrating. You know, a lot of that stuff was just like, come on. And that did kind of bog me down. But um, but I don't know. I thought it was, like, a pretty decent two hours. With 23 <laughs> minutes that you could have take take or leave? With 23 take, minutes take that we totally could have cut. I'm sorry, but like my poker game on Monday night where I managed to last about two hours and lost 20 bucks, that was a decent (laughs) two hours. This this was spikes in my eyeballs. One of the things, all right, I have a bunch of theories to lay on you. You've heard one. Here's another. We have talked over the course of this recap season about guy movies, Independence Day primarily, Toy Story happily and positively. This is the most guy movie we've seen well, Peter Pan it's a, it's a sad son yeah. movie it, 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 because this is a movie that is written and made entirely from the perspective of not just men but grown men of a particular kind i.e. 
someone who has ignored his family and his children in favor of his career and feels bad about it. Yeah, I think it's a bad dad movie more than it's a guy movie. It's a terrible dad movie. <laughs> but the way that the bad dad, and there are a lot of great bad dad movies. You know what's a great bad dad movie? War of the Worlds, directed by Steven huh. Spielberg. is a great bad dad movie. <laughs> Because that guy is a terrible dad and he has to actually learn bad to be movies. a good dad. This is a bad dad who gets redeemed because it turns out, you know what? He's really Peter Pan. Boy, if only the kids and his wife and all the people who are so terribly disappointed in him knew that he was really Peter Pan all along, why they'd forgive him for everything. In fact, there's whoa, even yeah. a line. Whoa, 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 and whoa, no, whoa. I... It's not about them knowing he's Peter Pan. It's about him knowing he's Peter Pan. There is Peter? actually a moment, and, and I have hated this movie. And b- <laughs> let, let, me, let me put it this way. When I saw this movie, I had not yet been married or become a parent. And yet, even then, I knew what was going on. And now that I have been married and have become a parent, and let's, shall we say, engaged with some of those issues in a personal way, it's even more obvious to me. There's actually a moment where the son... Uh, lo- just looks at his father lying around and actually thinks, I says, yeah. he, I wrote it down, he says, Peter Pan's my dad? And when Rufio, God, yeah. Rufio, when Rufio dies, his last line, Ooh. I wish I had a dad like you. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's it's ham-fisted. It's, this, is, yeah. this is a movie that every guilty, overworked dad with misplaced priorities masturbates to, okay? I can't, and it's so, it's, it's just so false because you know what? You're not Peter Pan. You're just an asshole. You're, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm getting worked up here. You know, if you would like to not be an asshole... Again or more, or then stop being an asshole. Don't. Well, I mean, there is like it shouldn't take a visit to Neverland to like reassess your values. Yeah, exactly. And no, because you know what? Nobody's actually Peter Pan. Well, Peter Pan is Peter Pan. Well, and (laughs) Peter Pan is not a father, right? And I would argue that the point of it is not that he becomes Peter Pan and that that's what's good. It's actually that. Like Tinkerbell has to, in that what becomes the problematic scene where she turns into a, a life-size person and kisses him. A real girl. She has oh, to remind him, no, actually, you need to save your children. Like, And he, he has to remember what he loves and what he cares about and what's important to him. Well, because if yeah. it was about him just being Peter Pan, then he never would have left Neverland and he wouldn't have saved Maggie and Jack because he wouldn't have cared about them. So what he right. had to learn is that he needed to like, keep his imagination, keep like that sense of magic and be a father. He had to learn to prioritize being a father over actually his work or the magic of Neverland. He had to pick his kids over everything because I think if he had just been like, no, I'm Peter Pan forever now, then yeah, Peter, you're exactly right. But he's not, he's saying, no, I actually have to, the most important thing is to be a parent and be a part of my family. Yeah, but I don't know though, because isn't the most important thing still bringing like his Peter Panness back to the right. house in the end, also, so that he's not an asshole to his kids anymore? Exactly. I mean, you know, like that is the major. But that's not shift his Peter Panness because Peter Pan is an obnoxious, yeah, like uh, irreverent, snotty teenager. I'd 
I no, I I don't know. I think his like sense of wonder and like remember like finding happiness again comes from remembering what it's like to have been a child. There's you know? th- there's a whole genre of movies including the Harry Potter movies in which a child who's very unhappy for circumstances finds out that they are in fact a magical or wonderful being, right? Because it turns out that their miserable life isn't really their life. It turns out that they're really a wizard or they're the chosen one. They're Neo in the Matrix. They're the ring bearer, whatever. And those movies are good or bad depending on how much that transformation depends on the character himself changing. One of the reasons I love Harry Potter, as we probably talked about, is because Harry Potter gets told him he's the chosen one and that doesn't help him at all. He has to actually grow as a human being to become the chosen one. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's weird that this is a movie that's basically the same thing, except it's about a grown-ass adult, <laughs> right? Oh wow, you you miserable, you know, corporate uh, asshole! Whoa, it turns out that you're really a magical creature. Ooh, which you know, which is great wish fulfillment, but you're supposed to give up that kind of wish fulfillment when you grow up, okay? But the worst thing about it is he just has all these powers that he has as soon as he accepts them. Oh, you're Peter Pan, or you can fly. Oh, you can sword fight. Oh, everybody loves you because you're Peter Pan. I mean, he trains for three days, Peter. He did did spend three (laughs) days. Three days in which he basically, you're just sitting around like, all right, is he Peter Pan yet? Okay, fine, he's Peter Pan. And and, and then he's Peter Pan and and now he can fly and fight and, and he's never in any peril and he's awesome and everything he does from that moment pretty much everybody's like, oh wow, you're Peter Pan. Oh wow, you're great. Oh my God. Yes, I am. I'm Peter Pan. I'm great. I was always Peter Pan. I just didn't know it. Now I'm Peter Pan. Everybody will love me. And you know, oh my God, your disdain of Peter Pan is so exquisite. I, I I don't. I love Peter Pan. Peter Pan is a great story. Peter Pan's first line is, "Every boy except one grows up," and it's all about why why growing up is terrible, because if you grow up, you can't be Peter Pan anymore. He, he he's he's the boy who refused to be an adult. And and if if you wanted to make a good movie about Peter Pan as an adult, I don't know if there can be one, but it would have to be someone, a Peter Pan, who said to himself, I want to grow up because growing up is important and inevitable and you gain something in return for all the things That's you lost. That's what this movie is about. No, it isn't. <laughs> This is a movie about Peter Pan who decides to grow up because he's he's got a boner on for his for Moira, whatever her name is, you know. Yeah, who, for the chick he had a crush on. For the chick he had a crush on. So she got too old. Which is which is like vaguely uh-huh. about sexual awakening. I don't know what that's about. And then he's no longer he never gives up being Peter Pan. He forgets about being Peter Pan. He never makes the conscious decision, or at least as far as we ever find out. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I put this know. stuff it aside. Like he rejects it. Yeah, yeah. I think he actively but rejects he, it. But he I mean if if there might be a great movie out there. I don't know if it'd be a kid's movie about a, a guy who Peter Pan who gives up all that stuff and grows up and marries and has kids and provides for those kids and does whatever he has to do as a grown up. But he knows what he's done. Yeah. And that would be a more interesting story. Like, yes, I gave up being Peter Pan, the magical creature who everybody adored and could do anything and could fly because this was more important. But in this movie, because he doesn't know he's Peter Pan, there's never any choice. And in the end, like in a lot of movies, he gets everything. He gets his family. He gets his kids. He gets presumably his station in life. No one comes and takes away all his money. Uh, and he gets to be Peter Pan. That $5 billion deal went south. Yeah, super south. Yeah, I think he's going to be fine. 
more of Peter ranting about Hook and Trisha trying to defend it in just a minute. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. We haven't listened to any clips yet, and we have a couple, and um, I think we should start with Rufio and Peter in this quintessential dinner scene. Oh, God. <laughs> Pinhead. Prison barber. Muddle lover. Nearsighted gynecologist. In your face, camel cake. In your rear, cow derriere. Lying, crying, spying, prying, ultra pig. You lewd, crude, rude, bag of pre chewed food, dude. If I'm a maggot burger, why don't you just eat me? You two-toned, zebra-headed, slime-coated, pimple-farming, paramecium-brained, munching on your own mucus, suffering from Peter Pan envy. What's a paramecium brain? I'll tell you what a paramecium is. That's a paramecium. It's a one-celled critter with no brain that can't fly. Don't mess with me, man. I'm a lawyer. I wish everyone could see Peter's face is in his hand. The, just the, the reason I'm laughing is because while we were listening to that clip, I got a text from my wife who was in the other room and it says, Peter, you have to let somebody else talk. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mara. I'm going to text Mara right now. Uh, do you think there were more lawyer jokes in the 90s than there are now? Lawyer jokes were big in the 90s. That's a real thing, right? Yep. Why is that? Hold them all. I I don't know because they, I guess we haul these '80s and '90s movies with lawyers running around being awful. It was a thing. I can't explain it. <laughs> out, of, out of all the terrible decisions that went into this movie, here's here's a relatively minor one. Why in the world did they decide that the scene in which Peter starts to transform back into Peter Pan or remember who he is is dependent on him being cruel? To another character. It, like the Lost Boy vibe is a real bummer, I think. Yeah. And it, it's interesting watching it, thinking about kids watching it and, and, and especially boy kids and and behaving badly because that's the whole point of the thing. Right. You know, And it has that yeah. early 90s, like the skateboards, the music, the whole thing. It's a little bit like, yeah, you got to be mean to be cool, which is, you know, did define potentially that entire generation. Yeah. Of men yeah. for a while. Like. Didn't love that. And yeah, just, you know, like, and again, I, you know, I think watching this film as a woman and just being like, where do I fit in in the fun stuff that's happening here was, it was a bummer. Somewhere Alison Bechdel is vomiting into a bucket. I mean, this is just, yeah. this is yeah. not. This is the uh, test. How does it pass the test? Where does it pass Granny, the test? Granny, Wendy, and Maggie are having a conversation in the little pillow fort tent that they make early on. So just for the record, it does pass the test. There are two female characters talking to each other, not about a man. Not about Peter Pan? Are you sure? Well, they're talking about her. They're talking about Granny Wendy and talking about hmm. fairies and, t- and sharing stories and stuff. Yeah. So. Well, wait a minute, though. You, we happen to have two women right here. Greta, you just said that you didn't feel... Well, how did you guys feel about watching this very boy-oriented movie? Oh, well, the thing is, as a kid, like, 
I, I don't know. I guess I, I'm going to speak for you, Trisha, assuming you're in the same way. Like there just weren't that many movies that had badass girl characters. So we just used our imagination to transpose ourselves wherever we could. Yeah. I definitely know? just thought I was a lost boy. Yeah. Like would get to be. I didn't think I wouldn't get to be a lost boy, even though they were boys. If they're making Peter Pan into a corporate lawyer, why can't they make some of the lost boys into girls? <laughs> I mean, right? It doesn't seem like it should be that much. They were they were in 1991 smart enough to not portray Tiger Lily because of how problematic all the Native American stuff is in the original story. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty horrific. Uh, Should we listen to another clip since you loved the last one so much, Peter? Oh, I sure did. What do you think? Do you want to hear uh, Hook's suicide attempt or Hook's homeschooling? You can. Oh God, both awful. (laughs) Is death an option? (laughs) <laughs> Hooks. I think to Justin's earlier point in his voicemail about this movie for a kids movie being really blunt and really upfront about death, the hook suicide attempt as I was rewatching the movie struck me for how, like he's pointing what looks like a real gun at his real head, and says the word suicide. Like that was kind of intense for a kids movie. So let's yeah, but it's also the campiest also scene. And can we? It also means that I'll get to talk about Bob Hoskins, which we have not done yet. Yes. <laughs> Don't try to stop me, Smee. Oh, not again. This is it. Not again. Don't try to stop me this time, Smee. Don't try to stop me this time, Smee. Don't you dare try to stop me this time, Smee. Try to stop me. Smee, you better get up off your ass. Get over here, Smee. I'm coming. Stop I'm coming. Me. I'm coming. This is not a joke. I'm committing a suicide. Don't ever frighten me like that again. I'm sorry. Well, I'm some kind of a sadist. I'm sorry. What are you some kind of a sadist? Is also an interesting line for a children's movie. No, no, no. There's no adventure here. You call this no adventure? Death is the only great adventure I have left me. Come on, let's get you into the Bob Hoskins is Smee. We're just going to have a (laughs) moment of appreciation for how great Bob Hoskins is in in this movie. Let's. He's great. He's fantastic. Wow. Peter, wait, is that a nice I thing know. that you just said about this movie? It is a nice thing. Really? I love Bob Hoskins in general. Peter. And he's great in this movie. You're playing with us, Peter. You're doing it, Peter. You're doing it. You were just, you were waiting oh, there for you that. Are, Peter. You were. Oh, you terrible, terrible people, you. (laughs) It's all Justin Bull. Oh, my God. Yes, Bob Bob Hoskins is one of the few people in this movie who walks away from it with his head held high. What about Dame Maggie? She's great, although weirdly enough, she's playing a 90-year-old woman. Uh, Maggie Smith was 50 when they made this movie. That's one of the things that has confused my mind for the last 25 years. If she was a great grandmother right, in 1991, how is she yes, still alive? I was like, how has Maggie Smith not aged since Hook? But in fact, she just now has aged to is the, the age, age of her yes. character in Wendy Hook. in Hook. Yeah. When if Paltrow true. pops up in this movie, it's her second only yes. uh, movie role. But we need to talk about Bob Hoskins for one more minute. <laughs> Please, go ahead. Oh, really? Okay. Well, because Bob Hoskins looks eerily doppelgangery like my uncle mike oh and so when i was five years old i asked my uncle mike uncle mike are you in hook and he said yes (laughs) good for you uncle mike and for i don't know how long afterwards maybe years i thought that my uncle mike was in the movie hook (laughs) 
that no wonder you like it. This all makes yeah. sense now. Yeah. It's I would a very have liked this movie thing. if I thought my Uncle Mike was in it. That's if great. your Uncle Mike was Bob Hoskins, you would love this movie. My Uncle Mike was not in it, but I do also have an Uncle Mike. <laughs> I, I read in the bit of trivia, I'm sure you came across the same thing, <clears throat> that it was a difficult shoot for a lot of reasons. I think primarily because everybody knew they were making a terrible, terrible mistake. <laughs> and apparently Bob Hoskins did a tremendous amount to keep the cast and crew's uh, spirits up through Aww. being a cheerful and good guy. So I totally believe it. Let's listen to uh, the Hook homeschooling scene. Speaking of youths in this film. No, child. I think your mother raised you every night in order to stupefy you to sleep. So that she and daddy could sit down for three measly minutes without you and your mindless, inexhaustible, unstoppable, repetitive and nagging demands. He took my toy. She hit my bell. I want a potty. I want a cookie. I want to stay up. I want, I want, I want me, 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 me. Mine, 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 mine. Now, now, now. Can't you understand, child? They tell you stories to shut you up and conk you out. That's not true, Jack. You're a liar. Lie? Me? <laughs> Never. <laughs> the truth is far too much fun. <laughs> the, the, the choice that Dustin Hoffman makes in this role to say his lines in such a way that he's going to always run completely out of air yes. and then go, <laughs> is one of my favorite things. <laughs> It is a choice. Who said, by the way, that this movie for him was not that different from Tootsie because once you put it all on, you just know who you are. Yeah. I I, I wonder, I mean, that that's so strange that, that this is a movie in which part of the plot is that the son, Robin Williams' son, Peter Pan's son, is seduced away from him by Captain Cook. Captain Hook. And the way, excuse not me, not Captain Arctic Cook, explorer. different guy. Different guy. Uh, Captain Hook. <laughs> and, and, and the way that Captain... Hook does it is primarily by telling the child that his parents hate him. And I, I don't know, again, I don't know what they were thinking. If if a child is told, which I guess is every child's nightmare, that your parents actually hate you, why would you become attached? Does that make well, sense to you know. that you become I mean, attached to the person who told well, you that? Well, there is that. What's that syndrome? When you're when you start to relate to your captor, Stockholm, Stockholm syndrome. syndrome. I mean, there's probably some of that, but also I think like I it's not that far of a leap. I don't think for Jack to make that his dad doesn't like him. Like everything we see in the movie leading up to that scene is essentially Robin Williams being an asshole to his kid. You know, right, Peter? I I do think that's a good point. That like the the argument Hook could be making there is how bad a dad Peter is yes. as opposed to how bad kids, all kids are. You, how bad you are. Which is kind of the argument are. he's yeah. making. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just strange. And, and I, that's because I think that this entire movie comes out of this weird maelstrom of anger and guilt felt by these very successful men who made it. Yeah, it seems very much like a guilty dad. And I think they were basically like, uh, Maggie needs to exist, but we can't really figure out what to do with her, so we're just going to Get make rid a of scene her. where yeah. she disappears. She's going to yeah. keep yelling about her mom, though. That also drives me crazy. That somehow, I don't know if you guys remember the the animated adaptation of Horton Hears a Who. Oh, wow. Yeah. A, a movie I loathe. And for some, <laughs> I saw it with my another movie I loathe. 
I think everybody understands by now I don't loathe all movies. How but the should movie... we just do Nerd at Recaps movies Peter hates? What? Peter <laughs> it depends how entertaining you find my rants, I guess. <laughs> but that was another movie in which uh, they expanded the story so that the mayor of Whoville had 99 daughters, right? Mm. And one son. And the entire movie was focused on the mayor of Whoville, who's played, by, I think, by Steve Carroll, his voice, obsessed with his son and mm-hmm. repairing his relationship with his son. Mm-hmm. And I went to see the movie with my three young daughters, and I'm like, why don't they count? Yeah, He's got these wonderful, loyal, intelligent, responsible daughters, but they don't matter. Oh, no, 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 no. All he cares about is his son, who's problematic and moody and and difficult, because that's the important thing, a father and son. And it just drove me mad. Yeah, it is. The Maggie getting ignored for a huge chunk of the movie thing is weird. Yeah. Yeah. I just want you to know, I texted your wife and said, thank you, Mara. And she just responded, LOL, I tried. (laughs) (laughs) Try harder, Mara. Can we talk about Robin Williams because... Uh, we I, do need to talk about Robin I, Williams. I, I love Robin Williams as much as the next guy, probably not as much as others because, I, I mean, I went to see him live when he was doing stand-up. I just think he's a genius. And I can totally see somebody pitching Robin Williams as a grown-up Peter Pan. And it makes absolute sense because Robin Williams' energy was always, as an adult, anarchic and childlike and manic, and you can totally see it. Mm-hmm. And then they take this incredible, this great idea, and they bury him in a suit for three quarters of the movie. Yeah, it's interesting to think that this is probably the first Robin Williams, the first movie that where Robin Williams is in it that I ever saw. Really, I think so. I mean, you know, and he was in Aladdin, but it took me a long time. You know, it wasn't until I feel like you have to be a certain age to like recognize voice actors. You yeah, know? but yeah, I mean, this was probably the first Robin Williams movie I ever saw. Don't you think, Trisha? Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, I, I don't remember much of any movies I saw before the age of five. So certainly yeah. I remember being sort of like a movie nerd in high school and then having a moment where, you know, probably because we were at somebody's house and their younger sibling was watching it or something Hook was on and seeing that Dustin Hoffman was Captain Hook oh, yeah. and having my mind blown because he was just that was Captain Hook. And then I grew up and there was like Dustin Hoffman, the serious actor who I like. Right, right. <laughs> and then realizing that they were the same person went, exploded my brain. Oh, God. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Robin Williams as the like uptight office guy is a very weird fit. Yeah. What? Again, it's a great idea. You're like, okay, you take Robin Williams and, and you put him in a suit and you make him this uptight guy with a temper. That moment when he shouts at his kids it was terrifying yeah. to me mm-hmm. even now. And I'm a grown ass old guy. Mm-hmm. And you take him and you restrict his talent for so long. And then when you release him, I don't know. It just seemed maybe because of that scene you played with him and Rufio where, where his, his, his magic, his mania, his energy comes out as hostility and anger yeah. as opposed to joy because he was such a joyful character, Robin Williams. It just it's, it's, it's such a huge misfire that I could see making sense on paper, but everything went wrong. Yeah, that, that that makes sense. That makes sense as a critique of it. I do think it's also really funny to remember that this is the same year, 1991, that The Fisher King came out and he won an Oscar. Right. Hmm. And and he's gr- like, if you think about two very different movies <laughs> in the same year for an actor. The, the Fisher King, I, I'm not crazy about it, but it, it, the very it's the least. It's the chess one, right? Uh, it's the one that he plays this guy whose life was ruined when his wife was killed. Oh, wow. By a crazed gunman. 
and not he, the chess one. Not the chess one. That's uh, that's um, Bobby Fisher. That's finding Bobby Fisher. Although, wait a minute, yeah. is Robin Williams in I don't, Searching no, for I don't Bobby Fisher? So. This is just like this is how my brain works with movies. I have the haven't word seen Fisher, right? Like, Fisher, yeah. no, Fisher. No, and 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 Robin Williams in that movie plays this guy who's gone crazy, but he's gone crazy in a credibly Robin Williams way. He's sort of filled with joy and imagination. And kind huh. of the dark irony is he's, he is that way because of a terrible thing that happened and he found sort of sucker and, and madness. But he, he comes across in that movie as this insane figure of joyous chaos, which is what he was as an actor, as a performer. And yeah. in this, they, they, they just repress that for purposes of plot for so long. Yeah, that, for a long uh, time. It's like, why? It's like you've got this genius... Ca- I mean, if they had made a movie in which Robin Williams played an adult Peter Pan who knew he was Peter Pan from the very beginning... It it probably would have been better, but the, this decision to make it all about his awakening to his own genius just doomed us to watching Robin Williams being terrible for, you know, like two hours. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it does get me th- thinking, like, I would be really interested to watch the movie where Peter Pan is just having a great time with all of his Lost Boy buddies, but then realizes he needs to leave and grow up, you know? Right. Because I think that's such a profound moment of of coming of age right where like you want to keep staying a kid but you realize that you have to make the choice to not anymore right i think that would be a really lovely and interesting story to watch yeah i, I mean i think we talked about that earlier that that's sort mm-hmm. of interesting but yeah a guy realizing that through no fault or effort of his own he's actually a magical creature is not that interesting somebody giving up magic for reasons mm-hmm. that make sense to him that's interesting well, dear friends, I'm glad we did this bonus. It was very fun. It was very fun. Thank you, Peter, for putting yourself through the <laughs> experience of watching Hook again, because I I think that the people wanted it. You know, I, I tried to very subtly, uh, very ham-fistedly turn this uh, internet against you so that we could watch it, and I think it worked. I No, it, it kind of worked. All I'll, all I'll say is I'm glad I did it, but if you had been in the room while I was sitting through it, I can't be responsible for what might have happened. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I don't know how many people do this when they're watching something they have to watch. Is I kept freezing it on my screen, just pressing uh, pause, just so I could check how much time was left. <laughs> always, and a good so sign. much time was always, always left. So much sign. time was left. That's how I felt during oh, the God. basketball and white men can't jump. For the record, <laughs> fair enough. Fair they're enough. just still playing basketball. <laughs> you could, I told you you could fast forward through the basketball. Okay. No, you can't fast forward through the basketball scene. <laughs> The show is produced by me along with Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. And our theme music is written by the inimitable Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. Oh, friends, y'all are the best. You are too. This movie, though, is the worst. <laughs> I stand by it. Okay, let's call it. This is it, y'all. <laughs> Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.